Are you struggling with logistics challenges? Join Guad, General Manager of Shell, on episode 27. He gives you all you need to know to build operational excellence. Plus, we talk a little about F-18s. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Ian. Welcome back to all our Two Babes listeners. The numbers don't lie. Our show is really gaining in popularity, and it is all thanks to you, our listeners. So thank you so much for all the support. Today on our show, we have Andrea and Joe joining us from APQC to talk about how to use big data and analytics effectively in supply chain. Such a hot topic these days. So Joe Tillman, he's the Principal Research Lead of Supply Chain Management. From hands-on frontline supply chain work to upper-level management and later consulting, Joe Tillman brings a diverse background and keen insights to his role as APQC's Principal Research Lead for Supply Chain Management. He oversees all aspects of APQC's research on supply chain industry practices, including benchmarking, best practices, and process improvement. Andrea Stroud, she focuses on developing analytics solutions and research methodologies for APQC research projects, including client-specific projects, the open standard benchmarking database, and internal strategic initiatives that deliver actionable business insights and business value to APQC members. Since joining APQC in 2013, Andrea has conducted research projects in several topic areas, including innovation performance frameworks, rapid product development, supplier collaboration, top performers in procurement, improving procure-to-pay processes, as well as IT risk and talent management in supply chain. So welcome back, Andrea. You are our first guest, and welcome, Joe. We love this topic, and we are so happy to have you on the show today. We're happy to be here. Thank you, Sarah. Awesome. So this is a really big topic we're tackling. So let's get right into the questions. What exactly is big data and analytics? Well, I think I'll take that one, Sarah. And, you know, really, I think it's a misnomer when we use the term big. It really should be called something like colossal data or maybe even gargantuan data. And that's really just to kind of scare people out there because it's not really that scary. And when we talk about big data or when we're talking about data and analytics, we're talking about a lot of the different sources of where information is currently being collected and how can we pull all that information together and make it actionable and usable uh, for the uh, organization to analyze, either to figure out what are their customers' demands and uh, where do we need to be at in the future and helping uh, helping them achieve their goals. Excuse me. And uh, where, where um, <laughs> as well as where do, where do we need to have certain types of process improvements or where do we need to look at in the future for having the ability to uh, respond to uh, different um, changes in the business environment. So... That's how I would define uh, big data and analytics. Uh, you know, it's just so much out there, so many different ways, so many different data points, uh, sources of information within the organization. And, you know, with the explosion of sensors um, and other types of Internet of, uh, t- um, Internet of Things technology, 
there's going to be a wealth of pool, a huge pool of information that we can start analyzing and kind of predicting, um, understanding where things are going, uh, it, moving much beyond from what would be a lot of usage uh, from the early 2000s around business intelligence, uh, looking at, you know, descriptive statistics or descriptive uh, analytics, which is just kind of providing a vision of what is currently happening, to making actual predictive um, analytics or predictive or predictions based on a specific business outcome and using historical data to kind of model uh, future scenarios. And then there's also prescriptive uh, or analytics that can help us determine well what should be done in certain situations based on historical data. Yeah, so much information. I mean, like you said, big doesn't really cover it. Uh, we need to think kind of bigger than big, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead, Andrea. It's, it's, it's go big or go home. That's how we operate here in Texas. So I love that. Yeah, I, for, I forgot you guys were in Texas. So then um, how does big data and analytics, how do they help companies? I mean, we, listen, we hear all about big data and analytics. Well, I guess gargantuan data and analytics now, but... Um, you know, we hear all about it. So how do they actually help companies? I mean, you talked about, you know, predictive, you talked about being able to take a look at, but can we really drill it down to what exactly it's going to do to help companies and organizations? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that there's a lot of ways that uh, some companies are already using it. I love wine. And uh, this is something that Andrea and I had been talking about before was, uh, you know, in the wine industry. And there are wineries out there that can actually... And, and uh, using analytics, they're actually using analytics to determine where should they water certain types of vines based on uh, where the soil quality, the amount of chlorophyll that it's, uh, the vines are absorbing and where it's at in that process, as well as in the manufacturing process or in the uh, winemaking and the fermenting. Um, based on the sugar levels and the alcohol levels in the fermenting process, they have sensors and data points and ways that they can measure where it's at in a certain stage and what do they need to do next for it. Uh, other ways that companies use this more broadly and outside wine, but I, you know, I, I just love all things wine, especially a nice big Napa cab. Um, they, they try to find inefficiencies in their supply chains, so they're, they're really focused on reducing costs. Um, visual tools is always a big thing that we see uh, for providing like dashboards so that we can obtain, obtain the necessary information in a very easily digestible format. Yeah, that's, um, improving that's, customer satisfaction is another big one that uh, you see a lot of companies using this for currently. Yeah, that's kind of a, a key point there is to really be able to digest it because it is so much information. So, no, absolutely. And just kind of the, to add on to what Joe said, just to kind of give a couple other examples where we see it in like specific areas of supply chain. For example, a lot of the procurement groups that are using analytics, um, they're actually using it to see which suppliers are doing best to predict um, which suppliers are effort prone. Um, and, and they're using different uh, sensor information that's real time to collect information so they know, you know, if they need to divert a supplier or go to a second or third tier supplier um, based on whether or not they're going to be able to produce a product and get that to, to, to the uh, customer in time. We also see manufacturing organizations that are using data to help uh, predict maintenance. 
Um, and this, this is particularly popular with, like, refrigeration and air conditioning companies. I mean, we're here in Texas, so just imagine if your air condition is about to go out, and, and before you realize it, it, it needs to be serviced. It's been sending information all along back to the air conditioning company to alert them that a serviceman needs to actually come out and fix it or, or replace your air conditioner. I mean, that means you'll, you'll never go a day in the hot summer without air conditioning. So that's another way, like manufacturing of air conditioning units and, and, and um, refrigeration units are using big data because they have uh, Internet of Things collecting information constantly on the performance and how that product is operating. Yeah, so I don't have to wait five days sweltering in the heat for a technician to come out because they should already have that organized because they're with other people. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so smart appliances. And I think, yeah. Go ahead. And I think, too, you know, looking in the transportation area around uh, fleet management, and you see a lot of that already being used in fleet management. Same thing with um, uh, within the four walls of the D.C. or the warehouse with their lift trucks and reach trucks and forklifts. These items have uh, the sensors that are there, and they can track um, when accidents and various other things occur. And then they can also go back and look and mine that data for specific information about how did this occur. Um, you know, and on, on the transportation side and uh, using for flight fleet, so you can actually follow and track uh, routes that your drivers are taking and optimize their uh, vehicle routes so that you minimize the amount of time that they're sitting idle. Uh, by minimizing the amount of time they're sitting idle, they're using less fuel, they're uh, polluting the environment less or releasing less CO2, as well as uh, there's a savings on the fuel side for uh, trucking companies. So is that like the left turns for UPS? <laughs> I would say absolutely. So, and that's uh, kind of one of the things that UPS, um, that a lot of people have heard about UPS, um, that they, and one of the things that they have used, and it was uh, optimization of uh, their routing features that uh, they were using this for, but they're, they're trying to minimize the amount of left turns that their vehicles take because then they're idling less in traffic. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I just read an article on that. So I want to go back to Andrea's point about the um, sort of the supplier scorecard type model, because we had Bill from Cascade on a few episodes ago, and he was talking to us and talking us through his supplier scorecard, which he does a little bit more manually. He'd, he'd like to get it to be a little bit more uh, technology driven. But at the same time, you know, you kind of lose a few things once you go the tech route. So are you finding that people are collecting this data, you know, through technology for the most part, or are we still doing it somewhat manually? I think a lot of that depends on the size of the organization, depends on the budget. It really kind of varies. Um, in the supply chain, there are a lot of things that have moved uh, and become more automated, and, and technology plays a big piece of it. But I also like to remind um, a lot of organizations that it, it really doesn't start with the technology. It's really about having a good process in place and knowing exactly what your processes are. Um, and, and for the scorecard, like knowing your processes and knowing what you want to measure is really important because a lot of companies don't quite know what's being measured in the different areas of their supply chain, which is very problematic. To manage them effectively, yes. Um, by the way, guys, I am here. It's not Sarah talking. 
Um, <clears throat> to manage them effectively, how can companies get started and integrate? And how can integrated companies use them more efficiently? And maybe organize the data a little bit better. So I think, um, I think part of that, any organization, if you really want to, you know, really use big data and, and analytics, it really starts with having an actual analytics program or center of excellence or a function. And a lot of areas of supply chain will start out with a pilot um, of, of using analytics, and then they'll kind of expand, which is, you know, a, a, a good way of doing things. But you have to have that function that kind of helps ensure that the goals and objectives of the program kind of align with the organization objectives. You know, um, it's through this alignment that they can actually ensure that what they're collecting the right data and they're analyzing it in a way that will help them make business decisions. We've also seen that it's pretty important for organizations to examine their MAP supply chain process, which I just mentioned. You have to look at where analytics fits into your supply chain process, and this helps identify any gaps in the process or areas where, you know, you thought you, um, that you may need to collect data, that you actually weren't collecting the data to actually look further into to the process. Um, having the right resources in place is a, is a biggie. A lot of people have actually been collecting data, but they don't know what to do with it. You know, it's, it's three realms of expertise to actually make, um, you know, the, the, the management of big data, the pulling together of data from different sources and the analysis of the data. You need three realms of expertise. And those usually um, include a, a domain expert who, who can kind of define the problem and understand what needs to be solved. Again, that's a person who has really good oversight over the whole supply chain process and where they actually want to answer specific questions within the supply chain. It involves having an analytics expert who knows the limitation and possibilities of what actually can be run and done with the data. Um, you know, all the t you know, I run data all the time. And I'll often have people come and ask for certain things, but it's not within the limitations of the data. So you have to have someone that can say, hey, this makes sense to run this, or no, this absolutely doesn't make sense. But then the other piece really is a data management expert. And a lot of times this is found in your IT area. So they know where to get the data. They know what the data means. And as long as you give them the validation criteria for the collection of the data, they're going to make sure that you have what you need. Um, those are all very important pieces for actually managing the data and being able to analyze the data and have it make sense um, to the rest of the organization. Awesome. So I want to um, just interject here and let our listeners know that uh, yourselves and APQC have put together a free download specifically for our listeners. Um, and they can get that on our website at twobabestalksupplychain.com. So from that download and in your research, you know, what did you find separated the successful integrated companies to the ones that still have room to grow? I mean, you kind of just touched on that, but maybe... Is there some sort of an example of, you know, a company that still had room to grow that had the successful implementation of bringing in, um, you know, the big data and analytics and really using that information to propel their, their company forward? So not necessarily specific to a company because we looked at a lot of top performing organizations, but one of the things that came out really there, there are really four kind of enablers or factors that kind of drive analytics and big data use. And the first one really is around, you know, having the necessary data that's available. 
um, and having data that's a high degree of quality. You know, uh, using quality data will help ensure that, that you get a quality analysis that will uh, be more accurate interpretation of the data. So you definitely want to be able to get that quality data. Um, the second enabler is really around having the ability to interpret the results and then clearly visualize and communicate those results. So it's one thing to have a statistician or a research scientist analyze the data, but to be able to actually then go and interpret it so that everyone else in your organization understands it and that it, they can visually see it, which, again, that's why dashboards are so popular. Um, it really helps with the communication of the results. The third piece really is around having the technology tools and infrastructure in place. Um, and this, again, as I mentioned earlier, requires that communication between the business and IT um, regarding the analytics needs and the data needs um, for, for what you want to have collected. And I think that fourth piece is really around um, enabler, uh, is around executive buy-in. So analytics can't be supported without executive buy-in. Organizations that have effective analytics programs don't just have executive buy-in, but they also have executives who are actively communicating the importance of, you know, predictive analytics use and collecting this right data. So when you have um, in the supply chain people that are entering information into a system, you want to make sure that the information is as accurate as possible because you're going to pull that data later to, to do different analytical tests on it. Yeah, I would say that's one of the critical success factors is really to get that buy-in. You you can't be doing this, you know, as one department on your own. You it's really a company-wide type initiative. Absolutely, you have to have that champion for your cause. What is the ROI or the results a company can look forward to by investing or implementing successfully? Well, I think organizations can expect to, one, they're going to know more about their customers and their suppliers, uh, which is going to allow them to better engage with the suppliers and the customers. Um, and we all know organizations are always looking to business performance me measures such as things like cost and cycle time and revenue and, and customer retention. Um, and, and analytics can really help improve these things because you can see if some of the practices and things that you have in place are actually helping your organization see the outcomes that, that you're expecting. So that's, that's one piece of it. But then the other piece, um, I really think it's important for organizations that I just really want to draw attention to this because so many organizations are, again, focused on the ROI and, and business performance measures, but it's to really look at things like behavioral change measures as well as analytics performance measures. So. For example, analytics performance measures will be things like looking at the type of analysis that's being done. So prediction model accuracy, A, B comparative, stakeholder satisfaction, those things kind of fall there. And, and we've seen that the majority of the best practice organizations use behavioral change measures. So these are measures that look at the adoption rates or changes in norms and practices within an organization in terms of analytics. So they're going to monitor an organization's use of analytics outputs to support its decision-making. Um, other measures uh, that are often looked at are things like number and types of actions taken based on analytics, uh, utilization and consumption, or even downloads of analytics output. So any type of reporting that's there, every time someone goes to a dashboard and they're able to pull up a report um, of some sort of analytical analysis that's been done, 
Um, all of these things should be tracked, number of requests for, for analytics projects, because that tells me that I am creating this data-driven culture, that um, it's being implemented in my organization and it's taken hold. And, you know, if I look at those measures and I see that people aren't using what I've put in place, um, they aren't using the statisticians, they aren't pulling up the reports, then either there's a failure to communicate what is available within the organization in terms of the analytics, or people aren't necessarily getting what they need. So I feel like in order to see a good return on investment, there have to be um, a very um, there has to be measures that are actually capturing more than just those business performance measures. And Joe, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I I, I don't, Andrea. But I um, but you know, talking about those behavioral measures, I think that's always a very important piece that we need to consider in the organization, especially with with the employees, and looking at kind of what the what are the technical skills you know they there should be some kind of technical skills or components that they have uh but it's also about those soft skills and whether or not um you know they they have that creativity that inquisitiveness or the curiosity as to what does this look like or i'm I'm really trying to answer what this big question could be you know why do pink nike shoe wearers only purchase on sundays for example and and just getting into what that looks like or what does that really mean or if there is some kind of underlying trend where we can increase that. And I, and I think that, you know, you're, you have to kind of look at those behavioral aspects of it. And you would also want to go a little bit further and look at, you know, are we getting the right skills, our skill sets to the uh, employees and getting them developed around those areas? Yeah, that's a great point. We were just talking about uh, competencies on uh, our second to last episode with uh, Mark from SIG University. So, you know, I, and it's all, it's funny. I mean, it's all interconnected, right? Everybody's talking about corporate culture and, and you're talking about it from a, a data and analytics point. Um, I mean, you're also talking about the consumer as well. And then you're talking about competencies. So it's just really, you know, interesting to see how everything is so interconnected on those levels with the data and the analytics and, and what it can, what it can do for organizations. So Joe, I have a question for you. Um, in regards to supply chain itself, I mean, we take a look at supply chain, you know, we talk about manufacturing, we talk about sourcing, we talk about purchasing, we talk about logistics, you know, the transportation, the last mile delivery. Um, you know, what are your top tips that a company can use to successfully, you know, within the supply chain? I mean, you know, you've you've touched on a few of the key points, but what what can they do to successfully, in those specific areas, use data and analytics to their advantage? Can you give us some examples, maybe? Um, you know, that's a really good question as to how they can use it. And it, it's going to, again, I think it, it depends on what are the questions that they need to answer for their business. And I know a lot of people are looking for a template or a roadmap to get us to um, – that particular area, but I think we have to take a step back and think about, well, what is it that we're really trying to achieve? And we have to evaluate that against, you know, well, what are our goals as a company? What are the goals as our division or business unit? And what are what do we need to answer? Um, what questions do we need to answer based on that? The, um, oh, geez. 
So, um, if I sorry, could I may have to take a step back. No, that's fine. <laughs> if I could just kind of add to that, so some of the things where we've really seen people using analytics, they use them for again, as I mentioned earlier, the scoring models for vendor quality and cost stability. Um, they they use analytics for detailed demand forecasting at the point of sale. Yeah. Um, optimizing well, shipment schedules. Yeah, so it's like, tell me about the logistics side, like the transportation side. What are you guys seeing? What are you guys seeing those companies? Have, have you have you done some research into, you know, that sort of side of things? And, and what are companies using uh, the data and the analytics for? Well, one big piece, and, I'll, and Joe is, a, is an expert, um, quite the expert in logistics, but one area that we've seen a, a lot of things, whether you're looking at, um, UPS or, or any other kind of delivery uh, situation, but optimizing routes, and that's including like backhaul. I think that's one of the biggies. Um, yeah. In the logistics space. And that's from like a trucking perspective. Are you seeing anything in maybe ocean freight or air freight at all? I have not specifically. I don't know if Joe can speak to that. No, I can't. That's not. I haven't seen anything, and we haven't really looked at it from uh, that perspective. But, I mean, there are uh, – yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I only I only ask because, you know, with, with trucking and tr – with trucking itself, I feel like, you know, um, they've been able to adopt, you know, some of these technologies, some of these big data, some of these analytics. But I find with, like, airlines and steamship lines – they're a little bit further back. Um, there's not as much information available, and I'm I'm just curious if they're using it. But, you know, if you haven't, go ahead. I I, I just not not to interject here too much, sure. um, Sarah. But I think that uh, you know I wouldn't say these companies are not using it. I think they are using it. Okay. I just I just don't think in terms of maturity they have moved along the scale in certain areas. And I think that goes back to the type of organization that, or data analytics organization that they may have, whether it's decentralized, centralized, or if it's a hybrid combination. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of companies are using analytics, but it's at a very basic level in terms of descriptive. So they're doing frequencies, they're monitoring performance, they're providing tools and dashboards to monitor the performance, yep. but they're not really going behind the scenes, looking behind that curtain to see where the wizard's at, so to speak. Right. Okay. No, that's um, fair. Airlines, that's that's fair. I yeah, just I'm just curious because you know we're we're in that we're in that space, and uh, I just wonder if there's any sort of leaders, you know, sort of taking. Taking big data and analytics and, and kind of terms, it, maybe not in terms of freight, but maybe yeah. in terms of people, I would say absolutely. Okay. And if you look at things that United, um, Delta, uh, and other major airlines are doing, they mm -hmm. they're doing major profiles on consumer demand and how it, and how to market their particular offerings or products to them. Okay, so uh, to the people that are going to be flying. So that's a, that's a it's a different type of freight, but it's still freight. Yeah, yeah. So it's more on the passenger side versus the cargo side. Well, right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I don't want to I don't want to say that it's not that they're not using it. I think that they are using it. It's just that either one I'm not aware of it um, or of a specific example. So, Andrea? Well, uh yeah. So, again, I haven't had a ton of experience in terms of the, the airline, um, the air or shipping, um, except for I remember going to a conference last year, 
and I had the pleasure of speaking with a gentleman from FedEx. And I know, again, this is still kind of a... Uh, they were focused on the fact that they actually rent out these sensors that they give to organizations. So I think the IoT piece is yeah. big for shipping and for airlines. I mean, it's big in trucking as well. But their cargo, they are putting sensors on their cargo, and they're able to track everything that's happening. And, and one of the guys gave the example of... Um, you know, a heart transplant. They put a sensor in organs and things that are being transported via air, and they're able to track temperature changes. All this information is being collected, and in case there is some sort of weather change for the flight, they're able to redirect and put it on another plane to get it somewhere. So I think, and that's, you know, that's just looking at it from, a, from an organ standpoint, but there are other things that are being shipped. Another example are, um, for example, scripts for movies. That was another example he provided where organizations are using, again, those sensors to make sure that their product is or their um, item is going from point A to point B, and they're able to track it the entire way, whether it's on plane, ship, truck, what have you. So I do think that we're seeing it more in the trucking area, but um, I would still say that the, the, the shipping um, area is still as well using it. Planes and, and, and well, I know on you know in, in uh, trains uh, in particular, they have been using you know RFID type tags to monitor where are certain cars and to track cars um, within their uh, networks, as well as when they go over defect detectors or hot wheel detectors, so that it, there is a reporting mechanism that can track that, and that that they can that's additional data that's being collected and that they could potentially analyze as well. Um, and, and the same thing with cargo. You're, you have uh, car containers now that are coming with um, these type of locator um, GPS sensors that are emitting location or information. Um, there's a, a company that now creates, you know, one of the big things, especially for dangerous goods or hazardous materials, depending on uh, where you're at in the world, what we're going to call it, um, but uh, in, in terms of inc increasing the security of the container or the trailer when it's being shipped, they have a lock on it that they now put on there that emits a GPS signal and can be tracked and is being tracked by, um, by an organization that provides that additional security. So if the code is entered incorrectly so many times, it sends out a, a signal or an alert that it's being tampered with. Or if it's forcibly removed without, a, without any type of input, from the uh, container or the uh, trailer, again, it sends out a signal or a, uh, a notification that it's been tampered with. So it provides a lot more security in that in those means. And I think that you know this, those are just some of the areas that uh, we're aware of right now. Yeah, those are all really great examples. And I guess I guess what we're what we're really saying here is there there's a, there's a lot of room uh, for growth. Um, especially in this space with uh, analytics and data and, and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just going back to that point, uh, Sarah, that you were asking uh, Andrea about earlier in the uh, terms of, you know, the data quality, and that was, uh, you know, where, you know, what are the integrated companies doing really well? And, you know, they have great quality data. And you were talking about the supplier uh, scorecard that a gentleman was using in an earlier episode, and he was collecting it very manually. Uh, we just finished up a, our uh, priority study, and we found uh, that still to manage domestic supply chain activities, 
24% of respondents are still using manual methods such as spreadsheets and uh, telephone, fax machines, so on and so forth. And that just corroborates a lot of other uh, studies out there that uh, have looked at the same question, such as the annual, annual trends in logistics and distribution by uh, Carl Manrode at Georgia College and State University and Mary Holcomb at University of Tennessee. Um, whose studies still show that even international and both the domestic supply chain activities are still in a very manual place, even though there's a lot of talk about technology and mm -hmm. how it can be used. It, it, it hasn't sped up. But fax machines, really? Yeah. I don't think I've touched a fax machine in years. Oh, I touch a fax machine all the time at work, Sarah. You're in the wrong department. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I didn't know people actually, actually even knew what those things were. <laughs> actually, I, I get some shipments that customs actually requires me to still use a fax machine. Or, or if I get a hand baggage at uh, customs in, in Pearson, Toronto, the, the person will get off the plane, they will go to secondary, then secondary customs will fax my commercial customs the paperwork, then commercial customs gives me the paperwork, then I fill it all in, and then we fax it back to secondary. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And, and I'm crazy. not surprised, Nick, at all by that. I Yeah, so when I say that there's a lot of room for growth... <laughs> I think there's a lot of room for growth. Our government doesn't like change all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you bring that up, but if you look at solutions that uh, um, order processing uh, companies want to implement so that you're not having to go through a full EDI change and putting in, and, and which is a very expensive solution to, to develop and put into a company uh, for electronic data interchange, or EDI, um, you know, how do we collect all our orders? And they still provide solutions for receiving orders through fax machines. Wow. As one of the potential channels that an order is going to come from, from a customer. You've got, I mean, there's a lot of small companies, and that's where you're going to see a lot more of the manual, um, uh, uh, manual uh, management of these activities are in smaller companies, uh, a lot of the larger companies, but even in the larger companies, it, it's going to be easier for me to take a step back and, oh, I'll just do this manually because I know how to do it. I, it's more comfortable to me. I have some level of control, so there's a feeling, you know, again, it, it gets down to the behaviors and, and talking about the change management piece of this and right. moving our people away from certain types of activities so that it um, in that process so that we can actually make the process more efficient. So I want to ask you a question about the future. So where do you both see big data and analytics in the next five to 10 years? And what are the challenges? I mean, and I want to slip in AI and VR here because I want to know your perspective on those technologies and how those are going to kind of play a role in that. What about drones, Sarah? Okay, fine. You can include drones, too. That's Nick's favorite subject. <laughs> Don't forget driverless vehicles, Nick. Yeah, those are awesome, too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and, and I think that's you know really interesting. I, I think within the five to next five to ten years, I think you're going to see a lot more people moving away from uh, just using it as a descriptive and getting more to the predictive side of analytics and the possibilities that that can uh, play. So when I talk about predictive analytics, it's um, looking at certain types of business outcomes, looking at historical data, and then trying to predict what might happen. And then we can plan for different types of scenarios based on um, that or, you know, 
even in hypothesis testing, you know, from the scientific side or, you know, going back to school and becoming a scientist um, again or being a, or being in science class, we, you know, we make predictions, we build an educated guess based on all these different variables. Um, and then we can run models and kind of test out what might happen if we had done this. And then when that situation occurs, again, we know what to do. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I think um, – I think you're also going to see a lot more companies struggling, so more on the challenges side, struggling with the explosion of information that's coming. Mm. Um, you know, we talk about the Internet of Things, and I think, you know, I, I, I really think that um, making the Internet of Things work really well, dat, big data analytics is going to play a huge part in making that work well. And you're going to have a ton of new information coming in or new data, and you're going to be like, well, what do I do with this? And I think that's the big challenge that a lot of companies have now, and I don't think that's going to change in the next five, six years from now either. So I think another challenge, I think your great, great point about the explosion of data. The data isn't going to stop growing. It's continuing to grow. But I think the other piece that companies are really going to struggle with, especially your smaller companies, is actually having the budget to implement these different technologies that are coming into play. Um, you know, right now, the best in class and, and the folks that are really implementing things like drones and driverless vehicles, I mean, you already have um, PepsiCo. I had the pleasure of interviewing a, a gentleman from PepsiCo. And Pepsi's already using autonomous vehicles and driverless vehicles. That's something that they, they, their goal is to stay ahead. But there are a lot of companies who can't necessarily afford those various technologies. Um, and, and they don't have necessarily people to develop the technology for skill sets. So, for example, um, you know, analytics is, 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 is underneath the next wave of technological innovation. And that's specifically in terms of things like the cognitive computing and machine learning. And, and, and AI, um, and it's evolving so rapidly. And I think there are some organizations within the supply chain that aren't going to be able to keep up. Again, it's going to go back to budget. It's going to go back to skill set because people, some people are still very used to this manual way of doing things, or they're used to an older technology. Technology is changing rapidly, and I don't know that all supply chains are you know, moving as fast as they could be. But, I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, not all the time, but we see it quite often, especially in the manufacturing area, where you'll see, you know, robots are already being used on manufacturing floors, and they're helping with efficiency and capacity. Um, you know, they can continue to work and do things as their counterpart is at home sleeping, and they're going to be dependable as well. Um, and, and, and I think produce a lot of information for the company. You know, yeah, based absolutely. on their movements, absolutely. based on how many pieces, uh, you know, all sorts of different things. No, absolutely. And I think part of it, too, is, 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 is really around the mindset. Because you have about half of supply chain organizations that are actually seeing artificial intelligence and its impact on the supply chain as disruptive. They look at it as disruptive. It's a positive thing. And then you have another half that see it as something interesting, but they don't feel like they have a clear direction of, of how they can actually use it within their organization. So you have about half and half happening there. And so the, the half that actually sees it as a disruptor and know that they need to implement it and use it as a competitive advantage, those are the companies that are going to be able to continue to move forward, you know. And the other ones are just kind of stuck in place, kind of in suspension for a little bit. 
Yeah, and I, I want to, you know, just kind of piggyback on that just a little bit, if I may, um, because, you know, it, that, that's a huge thing, and I think uh, big data and analytics from our recent study in uh, for the supply chain priorities uh, study was, number one, as a potential disruptor to the industry. And I think that's really interesting because some of the things that Andrea had just mentioned about budgets, and it's, and it's really these... Um, I want uh, maybe I don't want to say more progressive, more more advanced, or even richer companies. But when you really look at some of the things that predictive analytics are doing, it reminds me a lot of automobiles when they first came out. And automobiles, you may remember, were a very luxury type item. And those luxury items, you know, it didn't really disrupt the automobile industry, or uh, excuse me, the uh, transportation industry in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It didn't displace horse and buggies. It wasn't until 1908 when Henry Ford came out with the Model T that we had a truly disruptive um, technology that came out, and it was a specific product. So I think sometimes when we think about it in terms of disruptions um, and as an opportunity, I don't think we've seen the disruptive yet or the, the, the disruptor. The, the, the disruptor in this case would be taking big data and analytics and making it usable by anybody, any organization at any time. Uh, in the simplest format possible so, so that all I had to do was it's almost like flipping a switch and making it um, immediately available to everyone that's what you know I, I think when we when we're looking at a disruptor especially from this and when that will happen I think that's what we're missing right now um, based on the cost based on the amount of data quality and the cost it, and what it's going to cost to improve data quality it takes time it takes effort to uh, correct um, errors in our data and how are we going to handle that and work with that? So if we don't trust our data, it doesn't matter what kind of analytics we can do or what suites of, or programs we have that can analyze it. It's going to be meaningless at the end of the day. Absolutely. Now, I guess I got the last question here. And what is next for APQC? You know, I think one of the biggest things that we are um, – that APQC and that really defines us is that you're, we're really focused on best practices, benchmarking, and measurement, uh, especially within supply chain, but overall for the entire organization or enterprise. Um, one of the things that we're working really hard to do is educate our members on uh, what are those best practices in using analytics, uh, the digitization of the supply chain, and what are those effects, and helping prepare them uh, for those effects. You know, we, we try to remain technology agnostic because I, I think at the end of the day, it, it becomes, well, it, it's more of a process. And when you implement technology within the, within the process, it really becomes too, um, Andrea, I'm not sure what the right word is here, but, uh, you know, it, it's really very individualistic in some means as to what's going to work for each organization may be different. Um, so I, I think that's some of the big things that we're going to that we're looking at and working hard to do at uh, APQC. Andrea has been with APQC a lot longer than I have. Um, I think you definitely um, touched on exactly what the the essence of of what our movement is. We have to move where our members are interested in and and where um, the outside world is moving. And the the analytics and data piece is very big for us. The thing that we hear most often from uh, the companies that we talk to is, you know, how do, how do we go about creating this data-driven culture? How do we establish this analytics function or center of excellence? So a lot of what we, you know, have been doing and, and 
or plan on continuing to do is to make sure that we can provide that information for them so that they can understand, you know, what analytics maturity looks like at, at their, or, you know, at the average organization so they can benchmark against other companies. Um, but to also look at the information on the roles that are necessary for analytics functions. So many companies, you know, come to us and they're like, you know, we don't know what responsibilities and roles are necessarily needed for, for analytics. Or there are some people who are only doing descriptive statistics, but then they bring in this very expensive research scientist when all that they needed to bring in was a data analyst to, to crunch the numbers. Or they may have even had someone in-house who already had business acumen, and, and they could just kind of bring up the speed on some of the analysis to do some of what they're looking to do. So it really just depends on what companies are looking to do, but we hope to deliver and, and, and provide our members with, with additional information that's going to help them function um, in this world that's full of data and that's full of uh, predictive analytics. Yeah, and so exciting. Listen, guys, I mean, it, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And for all our listeners, um, remember it's about process. And we've got a free download from APQC um, from Andrea and Joe and the team over there just specifically for or exclusively for our listeners. So go to our website and download that. So thanks a lot, guys, for coming on the show. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, Sarah and Mike. It's Nick. been a pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed our time, Sarah and Nick. And thank you, Mike. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorplogistics.com and check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. How do you successfully use big data and analytics at your company? Or how will you get started? Andrea and Joe answer all your questions in today's episode. Next week, we are talking to Ben, the CEO of Popbox, about the subscription revolution and how they will manage their supply chain. We want to hear from you. Write us a review, comment on social, or send us an email at listener at Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. This episode was produced by Mike Mazurik, and we are your hosts, Nick and Sarah. Thanks for listening, and remember folks, ship happens.